Welcome to Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. Let's get started. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us on today's episode of Your Pursuit of Happiness. In a moment, I'm going to hand you over to Paul, who spoke with a good friend of top-tier recruitment, Pete Townsend. Pete is a fascinating guy. He's an influential leader with an extensive career in asset management, asset servicing and advisory who regularly delivers insight as a keynote speaker, moderator, MC and podcaster. He's the former Chief Operating Officer and Global Head of Product Development at BNP Paribas and Director on the board of its Irish franchise for 10 years. Prior to moving to Ireland, Pete spent six years in Bermuda in client service and technology for a leading hedge fund servicing firm. And before that, he was a key player with Fidelity Investments in Boston. Pete now helps startup founders and leadership teams to build and grow their ventures via the startup platform, thestartup.com. Do check out thestartup.com and also Pete's very cool entrepreneurship podcast, Money Never Sleeps. You'll find that at www.moneyneversleeps.ie. Okay, let's get into it. Over to you, Paul. So, Pete. Paul. Good to be on this side of the mic for a change. Nice. With me asking the questions. Yes. You ready for a talk? I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of context, this is part of the Future of the Funds industry reports that we're publishing over the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. So looking at where the fund industry in Ireland is going to be over the next one to three years. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you've a big background in terms of funds yep. and the fintech side as well in particular in yep. your more recent life. Um, but just in terms of context, can you give us a bit of background about peace? Sure. So as you mentioned, I've got a long background in the funds industry. Mm. Uh, right now, I am the founder of Norio Ventures and transitioning the business into um, a business called thestartup.com um, okay. with a strong venture capital component to it as well, which is the whole reason I set up Norio Ventures three years ago was that before I left BNP Paribas in 2016, I had been inspired by the captains of venture capital. Um, just with some of the experiences I had been through in my final year at BNP Paribas, uh, where I was global head of product development for the hedge fund servicing business um, and previously had been COO of the BNP Paribas Fund Services Dublin operation. Um, but in that last year, just my boss said to me uh, in Paris, Jean de Bombay, great guy, he said, uh, Pete, go out to the fintech space in Ireland and see if there's anything worth investing in. And I found mm. it was worth investing me, right? So he sent me down a path to my own exit, um, mm. which was convenient. And, um, but when I left, I thought I just waltzed right into the world of consulting. You know, mm. sure, that guy, that commercially friendly COO, no problem. But um, what I learned quickly was that I was like a little boy lost in the woods. Mm. And that just because you're a successful COO and uh, good at product development, or actually looking back now, I wasn't that good at product development, right? But um, anyway, you doesn't mean you can go out and be on the front foot and be a professional consultant mm. all the time. It's you know night and day. Anyway, um, I uh, where I really found... Uh, my inspiration is what I wanted to start doing anyway, which working with startups. Because mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to just waltz into venture capital, mm-hmm. um, which was the ambition of launching Noria Ventures, without actually learning the startup mentality. 
Um, and so I've spent the last nearly three years now doing just that and working with 16 different startups across um, Ireland, the US and the UK, mm. um, a little bit into the continental Europe, uh, helping them with uh, getting customers um, the three P's of people, process, and platform, mm -hmm. people, product, and platform, with process being in the middle of all that, but also regulation and getting funding. Um, so that's what I do right now. Um, I'm still connected to the funds industry, uh, having you know my first real gig being uh, running the Brexit committee for Irish funds. Um, and so I stay close. I also stay close through the Admitivate conference that I do mm -hmm. with the guys from Fundrex. Um, and where we pulled together 250 to 300 people. We've done it twice now, January last year, January this year, um, to get people thinking about the future of the funds industry, where things are headed. Mm, nice segue. Thank you. It's almost like you know the best. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you see the landscape in Ireland at the minute in the funds industry as a whole? Ireland's built up such an impressive um, business here what it's something like close to 40,000 people between those directly employed in the funded yeah. industry and those that are on the sidelines of that um, the four and a half whatever is it five trillion dollars un under administration here excellent for a country of five million people to build yeah. this up um, what Ireland doesn't really get to see is what is happening in the mainstream asset management community okay, okay? Um, we are very much a middle and back office operation here. Yeah. Okay. Now with Brexit, there are tons of um, UK managers that are setting up in Ireland, um, but they they're being referred to as front office roles. But they're really the more perfunctory front office roles around compliance, um, around risk management, and those types of things. What we're not going to see all that much of is the trading operation, the portfolio management, the mm. investment decision making, right. all of that, exactly, mm. all of that will still happen where all that talent is. Now there's a big Irish, Irish diaspora um, all over the world, a lot in London. Would they yeah. like to come home? Some might, some may not. Are they in New York? Some may want to come home, some may not, right? Seeing mm. these opportunities. That's more of a 10 to 15 year arc right that it is a two to three year arc mm. after brexit um so i think ireland's very much going to stay um middle and back office focused for the next at least five years mm. right if not longer um what what i'm saying about not seeing the mainstream asset management community is the headaches of the asset management community right now okay where you've got regulatory overload okay you've got uh a huge web of legacy technology mm. um, that is weighing you down. You've got complexity all over the industry across all the different parties involved in one single investor transaction, right? When it comes to independent financial advisors, individual investors, third-party distributors, fund platforms, um, and the whole value chain mm. of the fund investment process. What's happened with in some of the major markets? Um, so take London for example. Um, I think I mentioned to you I'm uh, advising a group now called Fund Admin Chain, yeah. right? And the experience with them has been that being in the middle of that community in London, especially on the front office side, where these people are dealing with these headaches every day, and yeah. not just being part of a business that actually. Um, you know, is, yeah. is the, the pure operational side. Not the cold face, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You've got, I don't know, a hundred big name asset managers in London, probably more, mm -hmm. right? But amongst those hundred, there's at least 25 or 30 
where they've got a CTO or a chief innovation yeah. officer or a COO yeah. or someone even in the front office that has already tweaked that the future of the funds industry is no longer 80,000 different individual ledgers mm -hmm. and that it will, um, the, the application of distributed ledger technology to the funds industry has started to happen. Mm. Now it's happening in small pockets, it's happening in small circles. Um, you know, there are players like Calistone that are moving ahead on that, but that's just DLT internally for them. It's not everybody. So, um, you know, this is saying, forget about the Bitcoin blockchain because that is not scalable. That is not something that you can actually apply to capital markets. Mm. This is saying, what are some of the finer components of what you call a multi-party consensus model? where a number of us can all be a part of the same network and mm -hmm. say, I know that you can see what I can see in terms of the ledger, this distributed ledger, yeah. so I don't need to reconcile to anybody yeah. because we all have the same records. Um, and we don't know everything that you've done. We don't know anything that other people have done if you or I are only party mm -hmm. to a trade. But what's happened is that everybody knows that, yeah, the other guys that have done a trade know that they've got the same details, mm. right? So just having that trust, that knowledge, that transparency mm. is big. Um, so this is where things are headed. It's already headed that way in other industries. Um, the number one area to be knocked out, sorry, not to be knocked out, the number one area that is due for transformation is transfer agency. Mm. Um, and because there are so many uh, record-keeping functions yeah, yeah. in transfer agency that are not that necessary yeah. when it comes to having, because if you have an investor that has a record, yeah. you have their advisor that has a record, yeah. you have a third-party distributor that has the record, yeah. you have a fund platform that has a record, all from one transaction. Yeah. And then the transfer agent has a record as well. That's five copies mm. of the same transaction, the same holding. Mm. It, only, it can all be mutualized as one. Um, you know, and and then obviously distribute it. So that is the first thing that can go. Um, that opens up what at least ten percent of the funds industry in Ireland, right? So um, reuse, retrain, you know, um, you know, give people new capabilities. So to step back from the technical side of it, Paul, um, you know, to to put. Uh, to summarize that, I think that technology is moving incredibly quickly. Yeah. Um, I think that um, Ireland's going to be on the receiving end of it, mm. um, and it will be done to us here um, if we. And I, you can say if we don't move quicker on the technology side, but there is no incentive for us to move quicker on the technology side. Um, you know, it's. <sighs> In the funds industry, um, the funds industry to me is about um, you've got the people side of it. Like I said, great built up this great industry, um, and a lot of people have jobs. A lot of people have great career opportunities. A lot of people have development opportunities. Mm. Um, things are all positive in that regard. Um, but being an operational focus, focused industry yeah. means that we're not going to have many of the heads of innovation um, based in Ireland. Yeah. We're not going to have many of the heads of distributed ledger technology based in Ireland or the heads of digital mm. based in Ireland. Um, 
you know, they're going to be in other places and driving this stuff forward. Mm-hmm. So perhaps the bigger players, um, you know, that uh, like a State Street, a BNY Mellon, um, you know, uh, City, JP Morgan, that all have these um, entry points into things like R3, mm-hmm. um, into things like uh, Clearmatics or Finality, which is a mm-hmm. utility settlement coin project that's come to market. Um, they're plugged into it. Hopefully, that will uh, they'll engage their Irish operations in those projects mm. uh, to bring things to market. Um, but is there a central point of focus mm. driving Ireland forward on that to go out to the heads of these businesses in Ireland and say, "Here's what's coming, guys." Um, is there anything that we can do here at the local level to drive things forward? Mm. I absolutely know there is what we can do. Mm. Um, but is there that incentive there for the main decision makers in Ireland within the funds industry, within each one of the players, to actually say, you know what, listen, we're going to put, and it's not a money thing, right, but say we're going to put, you know, 100K into this, yeah. um, whatever it is, um, as something, as a, a group effort to move, to move everybody forward. Um, I just don't think that incentive is there. Where's the opportunity then for Ireland specifically within all of that? The way I always tried to run things at BNP Paribas, Paul, um, was to say, let's create capacity. Let's um, take stock of all of the opportunities to automate things. um, And let's quarterly measure that Mm -hmm. and see how we can improve. And if we could measure people's capacity, we could see where the excess capacity then then moved mm. where we created that excess capacity and when we did create that excess capacity we took people out of those teams and we moved them into a technology team that was just purely focused on improving things again mm. and taking things to the next level of automation um, you know doing that was to be able to say to customers um, big new mandates that were coming in that were all of a sudden growing from 100 people to 130 people over mm. the course of a few months was necessary. We say, what's your long-term plan to be able to handle that level of growth? And mm. I said, listen, I'd love to grow this operation and maybe 200, 250 people max um, and then stop and then be able to support the growth of the business because we are so highly automated mm. um, by getting new business but without hiring any new people. Mm. And that wasn't saying because we were hiring people in India or in Eastern Europe. That was just saying that we've created the scalability here where you know, instead of in the old days where we had to go hire 10 people, we actually yeah. have to hire one or yeah. perhaps half of one. For because of technology and automation. technology has taken over. Mm. There are huge opportunities to do that here in Ireland. Mm. But it is a discipline. It is focused. It is long-term. It is measure, 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 change, change, change. Mm. And you can, um, I'm absolutely positive that my old colleagues um, are doing things like this. Mm. Um, you know, and I was just visiting an asset manager today um, here in Dublin and talking about blockchain and distributed ledger technology. They were talking about their robotics process automation project yeah. and their, um, you know, uh, what was the other tag it was rpa oh ai artificial intelligence right so um and one of the things i said to them and i got their consent i got their heads nodding when i said i said listen what i really like about your guys project is that it feels like 
it is long term. It isn't mm. something that you'll take a break quarterly because you got a big new mandate coming in. This feels yeah. like it's a commitment that you're doing it forever. And that's what it needs to be in the funds industry. Right. And I've seen far too many projects come and go where it's like, all right, listen, let's get this thing rolling yeah, in yeah. September. Um, we're going to get it all teed up to have a big investment in January yeah. that is just purely focused on improving our own internal operations and bring our automation levels way up. And that project gets blown to bits mm -hmm. when someone wins a big new client and you've got to actually keep doing things the yeah. old way yeah. because it's that. safe. Yeah. Right. Um, and instead of going out and hiring a technology expert with some strong leadership skills to run the project, mm. you're going to hire another ops person to yeah, lead yeah. the team. It's hard to find fund accounting and whatever. Um, so the opportunity, I think, is incremental. Yeah. Um, it's but being extremely well plugged into what's going on. And there's such easy ways to do that. You read thefinancer.org, which is Chris Skinner's daily blog. You can plug into what's going on. You look at Finextra mm. every day. You can figure out what's going on. And you can do that in five to 10 minutes. I do it every morning. Mm. If you want to pay the 273 euro per year for the FT, which I do, um, you can collate that down and curate that down into the topics that are most important to you. Mm. And mine are FinTech, the funds industry, blockchain, DLT, Bitcoin is in there as well, cryptocurrency, private equity, venture capital, um, and then technology. Right? Mm. And I get that nice curated list of about 25 or 30 articles a day. I might read seven or eight yep. in the first 20 minutes of my day, and I'm plugged in. And then when I figure out the things that really interest me, I just look at their website, right? So um, you need that hard graft commitment to getting better all the time and becoming more automated. As Paul Noonan from Link says, mm -hmm. you know, don't, uh, what, what does he say? Don't out, outsource it, tech it, mm. right? Don't move it, tech it. Um, but you also need to be extremely well plugged in to what's going on out there in the market in general, not just the funds industry. You gotta look beyond the funds industry mm. to capital markets in general to see how people are using technology to make jobs better. With them, so with fintech and blockchain, not necessarily the same thing. Uh, is blockchain a threat to fintech if you're not using it? Um, well, if you look at, at where things have come from, blockchain, the, the first incantation of it is the Bitcoin blockchain, mm. right? Um, and that is 11 years old now. Um, yeah. and it, it has proven successful. Yeah. Now, take away whatever you want from it, from Silk Road, um, from illicit activities, mm -hmm. from the venom I get spit at me when people talk to me yeah. about this. It said it's all about drug dealing and you know uh, money laundering. It's like, well, the easiest way to launder money is with something called the $1 bill or the $100 bill, right? Anyway, um, the Bitcoin blockchain and Bitcoin itself is a very first example of cryptocurrency, you know, is the first cryptocurrency yeah. digital money, right? Um, and it operates on a consensus mechanism so that you don't have a double spend. Yeah. You can have a digital thing that only exists in the virtual world that cannot be copied, mm. right? So um, that enables it to be a, uh, a piece of value, mm. right? Now that value is up and down, up and down all the time, but that's... You know, we're, we're still very early days, even though it's 11 years in, on the maturity mm -hmm. cycle of cryptocurrency, okay? On the other side, you have 
um, the you know love blockchain hate crypto crew mm. right and what they're saying is that I've looked at blockchain this critical part of the Bitcoin um, you know uh, framework and said I really like that I think there are pieces of it yeah. that are completely applicable to the financial markets so I'm going to take distributed ledger technology which is the umbrella term for blockchain because yeah. there are many different types of blockchain technologies yeah. referred to as distributed ledger technology I'm going to take elements of that and I, that was like a, wow, the world is not actually flat, Yeah. right? And that was a discovery. But like Christopher Columbus sailed to the Dominican Republic, right? Um, and thought it was the West Indies. You know, um, we're, what we're saying is that, you know, yes, the world is not flat, but you do not need to get three boats to sail to, mm. um, you know, the Dominican Republic or Hispaniola, as he called it, right? We can actually go... Uh, we can go a different way with this. You know, we go over the North Pole. I don't know where I'm going with this mm. analogy, but but it's, it's it's much like the transfer agency that, that you talked about. It's yes, five different records of the same transaction. Exactly, mm. exactly. So you know, the whole idea is to say um, I can mutualize this database. HSBC are already mm. doing it internally. With they built this thing called FX Everywhere, so that they can have one record of um, an FX transaction internally between all their subsidiaries because mm. every single day they hedge all their FX exposure across all the HSBC subsidiaries. Yeah. They're now using distributed ledger technology to do that. Great. So that's one side of the bridge um, where it's you know, love blockchain, hate crypto because when you start talking about crypto to the banking crowd, they kind of lose the will, right? And then you got crypto first or these cryptopians that mm. are like, you know, uh, they, they came out of the the, the uh, financial crisis and said, you know, we don't trust banks, we mm. want to create our own money, so on and so forth. And it feels like for a time that these two sides were going to meet. Mm. Then, you know, people were building a bridge from the crypto first and people were building a bridge from blockchain first. We're trying to bring it together. Uh, but I think if they don't come together, they're just going to keep building and we're going to have two bridges, mm. right? But, you know, uh, no big deal. I. The blockchain and DLT component of it, I mean, fintech to me is reinventing finance through technology, mm. right? A core component of uh, being able to reinvent finance through technology is saying, what is the best technology yeah. stack for what it is that I'm building? Yeah. Um, it may be distributed ledger technology. It may be a centralized database, yeah. right? It may just be building a wonderful UX UI on top yeah. of somebody else's kit or just plugging in an API to something. Yeah. So there, uh, not to go too far off the fun side, but uh, and we've been at a lot of the same meetups around blockchain, and there seems to be kind of a blockchain trend at the minute, where you stick blockchain into everything. Like I saw a, a recruitment blockchain uh, idea there a while ago, and it makes no sense. No, like it, it's just sticking blockchain into something for the sake of saying blockchain. Yeah, I I think, and and I feel like I'm always a few months ahead of this. Um, the I feel like that blockchain hype cycle has come way up. It's mm. then crashed, and I think there a lot of people. You know, the, there's spread. We now have a critical mass of people who are saying just what you're saying, mm. right? Which is you gotta really be careful for people just putting blockchain yeah. on something to try yeah, to yeah. get some hype around it. I think largely yeah. what I look at in, in becoming part of this community now is really helpful, the yeah. venture capital community, you see where people are making investments, yeah, yeah. right? And I always say that if I look at a deck for a startup that I may want to help, if I see the word blockchain mentioned on page one, it goes yeah. right in the bin. Yeah. I want to see it on page eight or not at all yeah. where they talk about their tech stack and say this was yeah. the best solution to be a reason value proposition. Mm. Now, I had a very interesting chat the other day with a guy 
who said, listen, I really think there's an opportunity to put blockchain on top of holiday homes in foreign countries. I said, well, tell me what problem you're solving. And he told me the problem he's solving. And I said, and tell me how you're going to get this to your customer base. And he told me that. And I said, well, what does blockchain have to do? He's mm. like, I don't know. I just think it's a great idea. Right. So, um, and I had this conversation with an asset manager three or four months ago. Yeah. Right. And it was a real estate thing as well. Um, you got to be careful. Mm. You know, you, you need to peel it back. And there are 10 pages to any pitch deck that, you know, I go through religiously. What is your elevator pitch? What problem are you solving? What is your solution? How big is the market? What is your go-to-market plan, right? What is your business model? Mm. What is your team? What is your competition? What are your milestones? And what is the ask, Yeah. right? The only place you should be mentioning blockchain on that is when you're talking about um, pretty much your capabilities of your team, Yeah. right? If you say that in your, um, you know, in your solution slide, that listen, this is powered by Hyperledger mm. or powered by Ethereum or powered by this, you know, Hedera Hashgraph blockchain protocol or, or DLT protocol. Wonderful. Um, the question I'm going to ask is how, how skilled are you guys in that? Mm. Do you have the expertise to be able to actually deliver that? Show me that in your team, mm. right? Or if we know that that's going to need a big financial investment, how much money are you asking for? Is that realistic, mm. right? Are you asking for a million? Are you asking for 250000 how long is that going to last you if you need to actually bring in five blockchain developers, right? So, um, but, I, you know, I feel I feel like, like I said, I'm always kind of like three or four months ahead of this yeah. just because of how how deep into it I am. So in, in terms of, of the funds industry, we're talking about uh, investment managers, or maybe that's a longer term play to see genuine front office at scale in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the innovation side, which is being led outside of Ireland mainly. Yeah. Um, and it's going to happen to us rather than... But there, there is an opportunity there, I think, somewhere. Um, you have blockchain, you have fintech. If you're sitting there as a transfer agent or as a fund accountant or in middle office or trade processing or whatever today, what's the one piece of advice or many pieces of advice you'd give to those people to stay relevant in the industry over the next one to three to five to ten years. I like to think of someone I used to work with who, who shall no longer, who shall not be named, but I said to her, because she was dealing with such crap, and I said, how do you stay with it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you are, you're getting crap from that person. You are actually, um, you've got all these IT problems, so on, so on, and so on. She's like, it's the customers, it's the clients. Mm-hmm. I love talking to them. I love feeling like we're sorting out a problem for them, even though it might have been a problem that we caused ourselves. Um, getting close to customers, getting close to clients is highly advisable because mm. then you figure out what their problems are mm. and you figure out what really matters to them and where the industry should be going is really defined by your customers, which are asset managers and wealth managers and anybody that's using the services of the funds industry in Ireland. right? And getting as close as you can to them I talked with someone in New York who just built a brand new fund administration platform and I'm like, okay, great. How long did that take? He's like, it took three years. Mm. I said, during those three years, how many conversations did you have with the prospective client? He's like, none. I said, why not? He's like, I already know what to build. Mm. I said, how do you know that? Because I've been in the industry for 15 years. Mm. How long has it been since you talked to a client? Well, I was always in tech. I knew, bing, problem. Okay, what do your customers actually need? I think... Um, if I am talking to someone in the funds industry, I did this just actually 
um, a few a few months ago, and the conversation was along the lines of someone working for one of the big banks in fund administration was thinking about moving on, mm. and I said why, and they're like, well, I just think there's so many more opportunities elsewhere. Well, why is that? Tell me what you're working on. And over the course of the conversation, what we got down to was there is actually loads of opportunities. The guy was 30 years old. He was looking towards going to, you know, um, the next five years before him and his girlfriend got married and they started having kids and it was prime earning time. Yeah. So learn as much as you can. F- connect with as many senior folks as you can mm. in your employer and ask them what they do. Ask them what, the, what their perspectives are. And the stuff that you learn is amazing. So mm-hmm. try to find a mentor. Try to find someone who, who's connected really to what's going on in the outside world. Yeah. Um, outside of the everyday life of the funds industry in yeah. Ireland with what's really happening out there and what's really coming towards us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would highly recommend that. Go to meetups. Get yeah. onto meetup.com. Find topics yeah. that you're interested in. Get out there and talk to like-minded people. Um, and it doesn't have to be all, oh my God, I'm such a professional geek. Mm. Um, it can be, hey, I'm going to meet some pretty cool people that might be interested in the same thing as me. Does that mean you have to change jobs? No. Mm. Um, it's just going to, you know, everybody's got, you go to work each day. If you're not happy doing what you do at that job, mm. get a new one, right? Um Or find a way to increase your level of happiness and engagement in what it is that you're doing, right? Don't waste your time. And if you, you know, if you can find ways to go bring the outside world and these wonderful new things um, to bear in your current world, by all means, do it. Mm. And I have to ask, uh, you're you're making or have made the transition from, you know, fund admin, fund services to the front office side of things. Yeah. And in my whatever, 13 years of recruitment, it's the one thing that I see constantly, you know, people three years in, wherever, fund accounting, done level level one CFA, they want to be a trader. See it all the time. How do you, how do you make that change? How do you know you need to make that change? You don't, and, and, and it's almost like listening, it, it's the Irish mammy thing, right? Which is, <laughs> you should be a doctor. Why do we always talk about Irish mammies? Uh, I don't know. You should be a doctor. Yeah, yeah. You should be an accountant. You should be a lawyer. Yeah. So go do that. Um, it's saying, you know, and that's, so, you know, I, why did I go this path? It's like, well, I thought I was going to be a, a stockbroker. And then because, <laughs> and then I, when I started Fidelity, I thought I was going to be a portfolio manager. Yeah. But what I found was that, working with people was far more compelling mm. to me than working with numbers. Yeah. Um, and doing research on technology rather than yeah. companies' financials and where things were going. Mm. Now, technology, that's led me a different path now, sure. obviously. Doing research on technology was far more interesting than doing you know financial statement yeah. analysis and stuff like that. So I kind of found my path through people in technology, right? But... Um, I had a chat with a good friend of mine from Fidelity where I started the career about, you know, four years ago before I started down this path. And he's been in Fidelity for 30 years now, nearly, mm. um, and on the front office side and deep in, you know, very high, high up there in the industry. And he said, Pete, I was always envious of you. You're always out there talking to so many different clients and so mm. many different uh, people from different walks of life across the asset management industry. He said he always ever had one client, which mm. was Fidelity, right? And... Uh, he's like, you're just getting so much diversity there. So if you're thinking about moving into an asset manager, 
to go work in their operations, which is what you are qualified to do. You are not a portfolio manager. Um, you know, it's the same. Mm. It is the same stuff, dealing with the same problems, but you're getting more people shouting at you because there's so much more at stake with yeah. one to 2% management fee and perhaps on a hedge fund, 20% performance fee, Yeah. right? So there's much more pressure. So just, you know, if you think that your own self-worth and how you perceive yourself will be increased from moving from the back and middle office yeah. to the front office, think again, Chuck, okay? Um, because it's not, now, you, if you find your path and say, actually, I'm not a big fan of operational processing. I'm not a big fan of continuous push for quality improvement, mm -hmm. of cost management, of you know, perhaps being on the relationship management side, solving asset managers' problems and helping them and selling, mm -hmm. right? And if all of those types of things, which is an outsourcing business does, mm -hmm. If I'm not motivated and thrilled by the perspective of doing that in the longer term and leading people towards that, what else am I going to do? Mm -hmm. What is it that really excites me? And I had this chat with somebody years ago who was about to leave BNP. And I said, dude, what really motivates you? What do you like? He's like, I love playing football. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, when do you do that? He's like, after work. I said, are you going to play for Man United? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, how do you bring some of your enjoyment of that into the workplace? And he handed in his resignation. <laughs> so obviously, the BNP Barrow wasn't the place for him to do that. He's now with KB Associates or Karn, I think. Yeah. Um, great guy. But he, um, you know, I was trying to challenge him to find his opus. Yeah. What is it that we might be able to plug into yeah. that you really enjoy as an individual? Whatever it might be, yeah. where we can find some goal symmetry between yourselves, yeah. what you want to do as an individual, and what motivates and gives you a buzz, and what would actually create some value for the company. Yeah. People don't think of it that way. They often. don't. Mm. They got to be brave. What you got to be assertive, mm. diplomatic, and considerate, yeah. and respectful at the same time, because we're all humans here. Mm -hmm. um, but you really need to just think about yourself. What is yeah, it that yeah. you want to be doing? And what is going to make you happy? Mm -hmm. Lisa White, who was on the Money Never Sleeps podcast with us, talked about 15% yeah. of employees are actually engaged, mm -hmm. fully engaged in what they do. Yeah, that number needs to go up. I've spoken with people recently that are being treated terribly. Um, that I, I've had this exact chat with. If you don't see an opportunity for you to grow in this organization, move. If you do see one, go for it. Mm. Right? Christ. Thanks, Pete. Really My appreciate pleasure. your time. My pleasure. Good to talk. Thanks for joining us today on Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. For show notes and other goodies, go to www.toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. That's toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and feel free to rate and review the show. We appreciate your support. See you next time.